Welcome back to 40 Days of Prayer. We're spending this time uh, here in worship setting, in group settings, in individual time, and with God's Word for 40 days, 40 days of uh, focused spiritual growth around this this subject of prayer and just asking God to to truly uh, teach us to pray at a whole new depth, a whole new level, a whole new uh, empowerment uh, in our praying. And as we we continue to to unpack that, uh, I'll just begin this morning and we Years before call waiting and caller ID and all of those uh, things where you could whip out your cell phone and see if it was a number you recognized or not, some of us had to pick up a phone and just say hello, right? And one of my pet peeves during that time was when you would pick up the phone and you would say hello and somebody would start in kind of with their agenda. They, they would start and they would not identify themselves. And, and so if you didn't recognize the voice, if it's someone that you'd never talked to before or you talked to very infrequently, uh, you didn't recognize the voice, you were just kind of processing there on the other end. Who is this? Who am I talking to? Because who you're talking to matters, Right. I mean, depending upon who you're talking to, there are subjects you will or won't talk about. There are, there are uh, things that you maybe will uh, be open about, things you won't necessarily be as open about. And I remember one lady in particular, she would call and she would just, I mean, she would jump in. I mean, she would just attack her agenda. And it was, and there was a couple times this had to say, okay, excuse me, uh, who am I talking to again? <laughs> Help me to know who in the world I'm talking to. Well, when it comes to the conversation that is prayer, it is important to know who you're talking to. Because who you think you're talking to really impacts how that conversation goes, doesn't it? A.W. Tozier famously said years ago, what comes into our minds when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why would he say that? Because our picture of God, our understanding of God, colors, it it, it shapes everything about our lives, including the way that we pray. Your understanding of what God is really like shapes everything else in your life, including, including your prayer. And what I know through the years is that oftentimes we come into this conversation with kind of a a warped understanding of who God is. And when that understanding is a little bit warped, that conversation is going to be warped as well. Some folks have a picture of a grumpy God, right? It's kind of like, you know, arms crossed and and begrudging that you would uh, bother him or ask time from him or uh, that you would bother to address these petty concerns, kind of this grumpy posture. Some have a, almost a crouching tiger God, right? That he's, he's, he's there just waiting for you to make a mistake. And, and once you make that mistake, he pounces, right? And, aha, got you, caught you in what you were doing. Maybe sometimes we come uh, with a God that would be more comfortable in Greek mythology, a moody God, right? That you're not quite sure what mood God's in today. And, and, and what does, am I catching him on a good day or is this a, a hard day? Perhaps your interaction with an earthly father uh, 
helps to inform rightly or wrongly your understanding of the God that you are talking to. What makes it even more challenging is when we come to Scripture, God is, is talked about in, in so many different ways. And because of that, sometimes we have what we can call a Mr. Potato Head God. <laughs> you remember Mr. Potato Head? You had all these kind of parts and you could stick them on and make all these different shapes and hats and noses and all the, lists, all the different configurations. Sometimes we do that with God. We, we take these different parts. I like this part. I don't like that part. I like that. And I put those on. The more we understand God in his fullness, the the, the greater, the richer our prayer is going to be. Scripture talks about a God who is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is present everywhere, simultaneously. Past, present, and future has has no real meaning to him. He's present uh, equally everywhere and uh, all geographic locations and all uh, what we would call segments of time. Scripture says he's holy, he's just, he's loving, he's kind. On and on and go. We've done several series through the years, teaching series about uh, the names of God and what that tells us about God or the characteristics of God because God is this, I am this. And so there's lots of uh, even teaching that you can go back and access here. But what I want us to do this morning, just to focus, because Obviously, Scripture, our minds can't conceive of everything that God is. We couldn't cover in a few moments everything Scripture says about God. But what I would like us to do is to focus on one aspect of God that I think if you get this down right, it will, it will empower your praying. It will make a huge difference if you understand this is the God that you're talking to. And that's the goodness of God. The goodness of God. The 100th Psalm has, for the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. We have this privilege of talking to a God. Jesus said to address him as our father. He is indeed a a father, but he is a good, good father. He is a father who is marked by goodness, for the Lord is good. His steadfast, that love is consistent. It's the same yesterday, today, forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. And I want us just to sit with that for a few minutes today, and then I'm going to invite you to respond to that in just a little while. Because God is always good. Because God is always, always good, there are some things that I can know and rely on, and those inform how I have a conversation with God. Because God is always good, God's plans for my life will always be good. Think about that. God is good all the time, and because He is always good, His plans for my life will always be good. Through the prophet Jeremiah, we hear these these words of encouragement to us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and 
a hope, that, that God has plans for you. Now, now maybe, maybe you're here, and, and biologically, somewhere along the way, you discovered you were an oops baby. <laughs> maybe you thought, oh, well, my parents didn't really plan for me. Or maybe you say, I, I never even met my, my parents because they, they rejected me. But here's what I want you to hear. God planned for you. God had a purpose for you. And because he is a good God, his plans for my life will always, always, always be good. Some may reject you. Some may doubt you. Some may not have planned for you, but God has planned for you. God, listen, God, God's not, not, not one who is waiting to get you. He loves you. Psalmist said, oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up. You have stored up for those who fear you and worked uh, for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Look at that word stored up. Because of his abundant goodness, oh, how abundant is your goodness? You've stored it up. God has this stored up abundant goodness that he wants to pour out into our lives. And prayer is one of the ways that we open up our lives to that stored up abundant goodness that God wants to flow in and through our lives, the good work that he wants to do in and through his children, that he wants to do in the presence of all mankind. Please hear me on this this morning. God is not mad at you. God is mad about you. And that's a huge difference. I love the way that Max Licato talked about it. Max Licato said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a cool thought? To think about that. And we put those pictures up there. God isn't mad at you, just waiting to zap you or catch you doing something wrong. He's crazy about you. And the plans that he has for you are good plans, not plans for evil. And you say, now, wait a minute, Jeff. I look around, and there seems to be so much bad. How can you say all God's plans are good? And Pat was just praying a few moments ago. How do you, how do you stand up there in the wake of a shooting? in a school in Florida and say that God's plans for my life will always be good. Some of you are in the middle of a season right now where it just seems like evil's winning. It seems like bad things are outnumbering good things in your life. And you begin to think, are God's plans for me really good? Please understand what Scripture says. It says we live for this season in a broken world. We live in a world that's been distorted and and damaged by sin. And because of that, not everything in this life is good. The Scripture never says everything is good, but it says God has plans even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of bad things, even in the midst of of sin and distortion. God has plans for me that are good, plans that are big enough because God is big enough to take into account even those bad things. Paul put it this way, and we know 
We know, it's a certainty, nail it down. We know that for those who love God, all things, all things, bad things, hard things, difficult things, evil things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And perhaps one of the classic Old Testament examples of that truth that Paul put broad and wide is found in the end of the book of Genesis. The story of Joseph who was betrayed by his jealous brothers, sold into slavery, thought they'd never hear from him or see him again. They go home and lie to their father that he's been killed by an animal, and they keep this secret for years and years. He enters into slavery. He's falsely accused of a crime. He's thrown into prison. There in prison, somebody he counted on deserts him. All of these things don't seem to be working out, but God was working in the midst of all those things. And in just the right moment, God took him from the prison, promoted him to the palace, and he's given a position of great power and influence that he's able to use to to literally save uh, millions of lives. And there comes that time when his brothers come, and he reveals himself to them, and he's used by God to to rescue the, the nation of Israel. And their father finally passes away, and the brothers are trembling now, Because this brother has all the power. And now daddy's not around to protect him. And they have to be thinking, now, now he's going to unload. Now comes payback for everything that we did. But God had done a mighty work in Joseph's life, in his heart. While they were expecting to get punished, he spoke to them about grace you perhaps remember those words recorded in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, he's looking his brother square in the eye. As for you, you meant evil against me. No doubt about it, no sugarcoating it, no saying it was no big deal, it wasn't that important, it didn't hurt. No, 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 no. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good because God's plans for my life will always be good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today God's plans for me are always good listen God's not trying to get even with you God is trying to grow you and we'll we'll talk more about that uh, in the time ahead but 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 God is is seeking to 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 grow you he has plans for my life that will always be good because God is good his plans for my life will always be good secondly because God is good God always gives me what I need and not what I deserve now that is a huge huge statement because God is good he always gives me what I need and not what I deserve again the Psalms which are so rich in capturing the language of prayer and the relationship of prayer Psalm 103 he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Aren't you glad that God doesn't deal with us on the basis of what we deserve? 
but because he's a good God, he gives us what we need. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our (laughs) iniquities. And that's why I still say long before I ever heard of Dave Ramsey or Dave Ramsey saying this, I've been saying for years, folks would ask, how you doing? And my standard kind of go-to response, you know, we all have those, right? It's better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Because it just dawned on me one day, every breath I breathe, every beat of my heart is better than I deserve. God in his goodness deals with us, not based on what I deserve, but based on what I need. Even when I blow it. Even when I have royally screwed up. Classic Old Testament example of that, David. This man after God's own heart. This one who, who uh, had such a, a relationship, such a conversation with God. But in the twistedness and distortions that came into his life, he, he blatantly ran into Uh, outright rebellion against God's love and God's holiness and sin with Bathsheba. And as he was confronted with it and he came and he was broken over it and he knew, he knew what he deserved. And the only thing he could do is cast himself uh, upon God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There may be some of us here this morning as we're gathering. One of the reasons that we struggle with prayer is because there there has been something in our life or there is something in our life and and we haven't dealt with it or we we are convinced that that this is going to keep us separated from God forever. But God is not only holy and just, but God is loving and God is merciful and God is good. And because of that, he says, come to me. I want to remove those transgressions from you as far as the east is from the west. Not because you deserve it, but because of my steadfast love. Because of my abundant mercy toward you. Hear me, God forgives me not because I'm good, but because God is good. Not because I deserve it, but because I need it. And because of his goodness, I can receive it. A few years ago, there was a best-selling book. The title was, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And the conclusion was, because if I tell you who I am, if I reveal to you who I really am, I risk rejection. I'm afraid if you know the real me, you'll reject me. And so we posture, we pretend, we put on masks, we color certain things, we just put certain things on social media, right? Think about it. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you as you really are. He knows not only every action and every word. He knows the motivation of your heart. He knows not only what you did, but why you did it. He knows your best moments on your best days and your worst moments on your worst days. And he has chosen to give you not what you deserve, but what you need. Not because you are good, 
because he is good. And when I understand that, it changes the way that I pray. I can come not because I'm afraid God's going to zap me. I can come because of what he's already done for me in Jesus Christ. I can come with, with a confidence along the way. That's what the author of Hebrews wrote about. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands what it means to be a human being in a sin-scarred world, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because He is a good God, He gives me what I need and not what I deserve. And because of that, I can approach the throne of grace with confidence because He is a good God. He is a good good father. And because he is this good, good father, he does not say yes to every request, right? And we talked a little bit about this last week. We're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive on part of this next week. But because he is a good God, he does not say yes to every request, even as a good parent does it. And we looked last week briefly at Matthew 7. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If a wise parent knows not to say yes to every request, how much more is a good, good heavenly father not going to say yes to every request? You may remember toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, so the disciples were with him, and there's the, these two men, these sons of Zebedee, right? These sons of thunder. And I always find it interesting, these sons of thunder, their mom approaches Jesus on their behalf, right? <laughs> Isn't that great? Thanks, mom, right? And she goes up to the two grown men, sons of thunder, and she goes, can one of them sit on your right hand and one on the left when you come into your kingdom, right? Mom's like jockeying for position for her boys. And Jesus' answer is instructive. He looks at her. You do not know what you are asking. You don't know what that means and what's involved in that. You don't understand the cup that Jesus was getting ready to drink from. And when I read that, I think, oh God, how many times, how many times have I come and I have asked for things, and in my mind, it makes perfect sense. Not only does it make perfect sense, but I could do one slick presentation and convince you what a good idea it is and how wonderful it is and how needed it is and needed right here, right now. Go! And God, my loving Heavenly Father, says, you do not know what you're asking. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know everything that is a part of that. 
Why? Because God, as he reminded us, is different than you and I. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has an understanding that is so radically different and better than mine. In his goodness, he is not going to say yes to every request. And I know that if you're sitting here and kind of academically we can say, yeah, I get that. If you're a parent, you can look at some of the requests of your kids and you can say, oh, I get that. But when you're in pain, when you're hurting, when you have cried out, And nothing's happened. When you have prayed for healing, and you know, you know that God could heal them in a nanosecond. And that healing doesn't come. You have pleaded with God for that relationship. To be restored. And it continues to deteriorate. You have cried out. You are not lazy. You want to work and and can't find a job. And you start to wonder. Is he good? Is he a good, good father when he doesn't say yes to this request? There's a saying that has been attributed to Charles Spurgeon, but those who have studied Spurgeon intensely can't find it anywhere in his writings. But it's a great saying nonetheless. God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When you operate out of a core conviction that he is a good, good father, That even when he does not say yes to the request that makes perfect, logical sense to you, when you have racked your brain and you can't figure out, you can't trace a path, you can't connect the dots where this somehow, some way makes sense, in those moments when you cannot trace his hand, you go back and say, God, I don't understand it. But yes, I trust your heart. I trust your heart. Because he is a good God, because he is a good, good father, he does not say yes to every request. Because he's a good, good father, Christ Jesus sacrificed for us. 
<laughs> this, this enters into every facet of my life, including my praying. When Jesus self-identified, one of the ways that he did that, he said, I am the good shepherd. Good. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And what does that good shepherd do? And I lay down my life for the sheep. That he does something for us to provide for us what we could not have provided for ourselves. Paul puts it this way to the Romans, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were in rebellion, while we walked away from him, while we ignored him, while we chose our way over his way, Christ died for us. That he died for us, that he sacrificed for us, giving up the glories of heaven, taking on human flesh, living the life we were called to live, dying the death we deserve to die, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected again, all because of the goodness of God, all because of the love of God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, if we are in him, we might become the righteousness of God. As we gather together week by week by week, one of our prayers, one of our desires is, Lord, let let there be one there who this is the day. This is the day when you open up their heart. This is the day when you remove the blinders from their eyes. This is the day when, when they open their life to receive your goodness, your love, your grace, your mercy. And our prayer is that even in this room, in this very moment, that this is your day. Uh, maybe you came in here and, and maybe you've just been checking it out or maybe you've been kind of doing the religious thing for a long, long time, but God in His grace, because He is a good, good God, said it's not enough just to know about me, but you have to know me. And the way you know me is through Jesus Christ. Recognizing the reality of a sin that separates us from God and His holiness recognizing that God in his goodness and love has intervened and sacrificed, sent Jesus Christ to die for us so that we could live with him forever. And today we invite you. We invite you to allow that to become operative in your life by repentance and faith. Repentance is turning from a self-directed life, turning to place my trust in in Christ Jesus, turning from running my own life and, and relying on my own goodness to trusting and relying upon the wisdom and the goodness and the, the provision of Jesus Christ. And here's my offer to you today. Before you leave this room, if you're not sure, even Jeff, I'm not 100% sure what you're talking about. Or maybe you just sense God's Spirit tugging at your heart and your mind right now. Here's the offer. Before you leave this room today, I'm going to ask you to make your way to that connect area. And at the close of our time together in that connect area, there's going to be some folks that it would be their highest honor today to sit down with you for just a few minutes and share with you a little more fully and completely how you can know this love, this forgiveness, this grace, this new life, that's only found in Jesus Christ. Because God is so good, Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. And that's about our salvation, but it's also about every day that we live. It's also about our praying.
Because Paul goes on to write, he who did not spare his own son, he who is willing to sacrifice his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Whatever I need to be the person that God's called me to be, to live the life God has called me to live, God has graciously provided that for me through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hear me, Christ Jesus did not die for you just to desert you. And there are perhaps moments in our lives where we wonder, okay, I, I, I think I'm saved, I, I realize I have this faith, but boy, God, it kind of feels like I'm going all alone, and I, I don't know if I can do this, and it's so hard, and where are you, and all these things, and you come back to the goodness of God, you come back to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and you remind yourself, He did not die for me just to desert me, but that He has graciously given us all things. Peter put it this way, his divine power has granted to us all things, there's that word, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. But it comes through a personal experiential knowledge of him. Christ sacrificed for us because of the goodness of our God. And because of that, I can know one other thing that informs my praying, and that is that we can live with him forever. Because he is a good God, because he is a good, good father, it's not just about 20, 40, 60, 80, however many years we get to our run on this earth, but we are going to be with him forever. 23rd Psalm is perhaps one of the most beloved sections of of the Bible. And in the 23rd Psalm, he talks about the the Lord is my shepherd. Remember that good shepherd who gave his life. And it talks about some of the many things that good shepherd does for us. And then as it gets toward the end, it reminds us, surely, goodness, because he's a good God, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when I begin to understand the goodness of God, I understand it's not just for a few moments. It's not just for me to to live the American dream, but it's about what God is preparing for me for all eternity. And that's why Paul could write that despite everything that he had been through, despite everything that he endured, he did not lose hope. For we do not lose heart. This is a great scripture to come back to when I'm feeling whiny, <laughs> when I'm wanting to tell God how hard I've got at serving Him, all right? So we do not lose heart because I remember all the things Paul went through. I begin to say, I'll not say a word. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, beatings, <laughs> shipwrecks, Having your your back ripped open with whips, all of the persecution, people hunting you down to kill you, all these things, light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient. They're here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that are unseen 
are eternal. And he begins to understand the goodness of God is not just about a few moments or a few fleeting years, but it's about what God is preparing us for because this life is preparation for eternity. And a good, good father will use this life to prepare us for what he has prepared for us in Jesus Christ. I read of a, a man by the name of Frank Cox, and I shared this story in the first service, and someone came up afterwards and said, I know Frank, and I know this story. Frank Cox, Independence Day, rest of the country celebrating, cookouts, fireworks, all the things that are traditionally a part of that day. Frank is leaning across the hospital bed of his 27-year-old wife whose unsteady breathing signaled the approaching end of her mortal life. Gripping the one good hand left on a body that had been ravaged by cancer, Cox whispered into Debbie's ear, thank you for being his wife and the mother of their four-year-old son, Stephen. Within moments... She was gone. And Cox, 30 years old, was a widower and a single dad of a four-year-old boy. As he walked that journey of grief, he wrestled with the goodness of God and the provision of God. What do you do when you lose something that is precious to your life, thought Cox. And as a thought he would wrestle with for a long time as he sat and cried at the grave of his wife, telling God it hurt so bad, his life was spinning round and round. At one point, Cox demanded, God, give him his wife back. I want her back, he said, with a full head of hair. And I don't want there to be a bum arm or a splint on her leg. I didn't bargain for this. I just want her back. But in those moments, he sensed God saying, if I opened up heaven and said, okay, Debbie, you can go back, she wouldn't want to come. Frank, she's enjoying everything I ever prepared for her. Now get up and get on with your wife, your life, excuse me. As he began to do that in God's strength. He drew strength and encouragement by some of the memories over that two-year journey with cancer, the brain tumor that eventually took her life. In the last couple weeks of her life, he remembered being in the hospital. Each day I would watch the doctor test Debbie's eyesight. By having her follow a small light, and each day I would see her eyes move less and less as the tumor expanded toward the base of her skull. Barely able to see, Debbie asked Frank to read Psalm 62. My soul waits in silence for him only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Frank's father is a pastor. And Debbie's father was a deacon. They're in the room in those last days, Frank says, one of us would read a few verses and cry, then read a few more verses and cry some more. 
But the whole time, Debbie had a smile on her face. She was at peace with her God. Just before Debbie slipped into a coma, she took a Bible with her one good hand, ran her finger down a page until it stopped at Romans 8.18. Frank read it and cried some more. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Oh, listen. When you reflect on the goodness of God, don't just think about it in the segment of a few decades. Think about it against the backdrop of eternity. Because a good, good God knows how to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. Who are you talking to? You're talking to a God who is not mad at you, who is mad about you. You're talking to a God who loves you. You're talking to a God who is a good, good father. You're talking to a God who knows the plans that he has for you. You're talking to a God who does not give you what you deserve or what you need. You're talking to a God who sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ, for you. A God who is preparing eternity for you. A God who loves you enough not to say yes to every request because you don't always know what you're asking for. That's the God that you're talking to. And when you understand that you're talking to that kind, kind of God, it changes the way you pray. Because the more I understand the love and the goodness of God, the more I'm going to enjoy prayer. It's not going to be something I have to do. It's going to be something I get to do. I get to converse with the King of kings and Lord of lords. I get to have this conversation with this good, good Father who loves me so. And as I I take delight in that, I move. It is no longer a duty. It's not a drudgery. It's something I begin to delight in because of who I get to talk to. Who you're talking to makes all the difference. And so today, as we think about the goodness of God, it seemed an appropriate way to draw this together is to worship our God. And so I'm going to have our our praise team step back out here, and and in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to just sing praise to a good good father just to remind ourselves of who he is and after we have sang and given him praise we'll be dismissed for some of you part of your dismissing is to take the next step the next step in whatever God is saying to you. And maybe that's a, a step to, to, to connect with, with God through Jesus Christ, to find out how can I become a follower of Christ. The Connect Room and the Connect Team can help you with that. Maybe your next step is, is baptism. The Connect Team can help you take that step. Maybe it's to, to become a formal, functioning, participating partner and member in the life of this fellowship. The Connect Area can help you to take that. Maybe your next step is about serving and you want to check out 
some VBS opportunities. Maybe your next step is about connecting with, with others in a group to do life together. Go by an information desk. I'd be glad to, to point you to some groups that you can connect to and be a part of along the way. Well, we're convinced everybody has a next step, and a good, good father who has a good plan for your life has a next step for you. And we encourage you to take it. We encourage you this week to spend some time, and maybe later today or through this week or through some time along with God, take some of those questions about making it personal and just drill down. Drill down and say, God, what have I been believing about you? And how has that affected the way I pray? Maybe just to go back through these points and meditate on God's love and His goodness. And in light of that, what what will it mean to really delight in Him? After the close of the service, I'm going to hang out by the American flag. If you're a guest, please come by. I'd love to have a chance to meet you today. But as we just respond today in worship, we want to just praise our good, good Father. So stand with us right now, if you would. And we're just going to just from your heart, from your heart as just an expression of praise.